This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. So, marriage, Hebrews 13, 4 says this, marriage should be honored by all. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say marriage should be honored by all married people. It says marriage should be honored by all. And the biblical perspective here is that marriage is something that God invented. He made the world, and then when he was ready to put his emissaries on the world in this place to care for it, he placed them male and female on purpose, and he intended for them to have a relationship that was unique and exclusive. There is something about that unique, exclusive relationship that would model for people his love for his creation. And so it kind of follows through the rest of the history of, of mankind. And, and you know what? Honestly, it's, it's true if we're honest. I mean, if, if you are married, you know that it was probably one of the most meaningful days of your life. Something that you looked forward to forever. Thanks, Ben. I forgot to ask for it. If you're not married, you've been thinking about that day when you're going to get married and you look forward to it. Uh, some of you more than others. If you were married and now are no longer married for some of these reasons, you know how much loss you feel. You see, marriage really is important. And I'm going to just suggest that the Bible says that marriage represents our highest hopes for love. Our highest ideals for love. I mean, after all, um, kids do best in homes. We all want to live in that little warm, safe environment with someone that knows us best and loves us most. So with that in mind, as we go through Valentine's Day, some of you are going to be married Hopefully some of you still be married after today. Uh, some of you are wishing you were married. Some of you are a little bitter. Some of you are just lonely. I, there's all these feelings. I just want to say this. Regardless of where you are, it is actually okay to honor marriage. Wherever you are in life, you can honor marriage. You can say, hey, I may not have one, or I made a mess of mine, or I may never get one, or, or, but it's still the highest ideal for love. Which means a couple of things. It means that if marriage is the highest ideal for love, we're going to protect it. We're going to protect it from those cheap, salacious distractions. Anybody who's been married for any length of time knows that there is a, an intimate, physical part of marriage, and then there's reality, right? And things change. It's not just what you read in racy novels. Oh, it can include that. But it's not just that. And so we protect it from cheap, salacious distractions. Keep that marriage in your mind as well, even if you're not in a marriage. It, it's an ideal to keep it clean. Secondly, to, to protect it from natural atrophy. Okay, just because you've been married forever doesn't mean you have to act like you've been married forever. Right? And we could tell jokes and jokes and jokes, but we're, we're going to just save that. Except to say, if you are married, keep it fresh. And if you aren't married... Help married couples keep it fresh. Offer to babysit. Uh, do whatever you can. Encourage them. Okay? Challenge each other to, to keep it fresh and new and exciting. 
And thirdly, we have to protect it from casual ambivalence. In our culture today, it sounds like marriage is just like whatever if you want. And yet God said it was in that commitment of two people that his kind of love is shown most clearly. It's why he instituted it. And so our challenge is to protect it from just like something that could come and go. No, even if you're not married, you can still say, marriage is important to me and I honor it. Okay? Great. Well, I want to dive into it. We've been doing a study, if you're new today. We're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, A Beautiful Mess is the series title because that's what the church in Corinth was. It was a mess. But to get us started this morning, I'm going to ask you to read together a passage of Scripture with me that is not found in 1 Corinthians. And so it's in Ephesians 4. If you have your Bible, you can open it there. But we're going to read it from the screen. And I'm going to ask us to read this together out loud, kind of a Scripture reading. So if you would stand, I would like you to read this with me. Ephesians 4, verse, starting in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Amen. You can be seated. And let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we have talked for just a few moments about love. But as we saw in that cute little video bumper You are love. You are the source of love. And so we acknowledge that that is your idea, and we aspire to it. So God, I pray that you would help us today to understand what it means to love you as your children, to love one another as made by you, and to somehow reflect your kind of character to the world around us. Now I ask that you would speak to us through your word, that I wouldn't get in the way, that my words would be your words, so that these, your people, are conformed to your image. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Ah, I changed. Got my work shirt on. Uh, Title today is uh, Blue Collar Kingdom. So I'm... Well, that's what happens when you try to get dressed on stage while you're praying. And I didn't get this right. I never got this right when I was six. Is that better? All right. <laughs> Should have just left it like that. It's going to look great on video. Anyway, so this is my work shirt because we're talking about a blue-collar kingdom. The believers in Corinth, I cannot wear these, though, all morning long. They are just, they might be safe. But you get the idea, right? The believers in Corinth, Paul had planted this church in this slick, cool, cosmopolitan town. And now he's hearing about how things are going, and he's, he's writing them to respond to the things that he's heard, and also even to respond in a few weeks to some of the questions they asked him. 
He's already addressed their prideful posturing over their preferred patriarchs, which I still don't think you guys appreciate how much work it takes to come up with those kind of alliterations. But anyway, because uh, that was totally me. I mean, you will not find that anywhere else, okay? So anyway, um, so they were picking sides, and he starts to correct them, like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And, and what we've learned so far is that it was clear that they did not understand the way God thinks. They did not understand his wisdom. Instead, they were trying to think like the world around them because they thought the world around them was so cool. Can you relate to that? And what he's saying is, God's wisdom will not line up with what you think is out there in the world, but it is still wisdom. But because you reject his wisdom, you're still acting carnal. You're still acting like infants. And so last week he introduced, the last two weeks, he's introduced this idea of carnal Christians. But their misunderstanding of God's wisdom and the message of the gospel isn't the only problem here. They also misunderstood ministry. They didn't understand the way the church and ministry was supposed to work. Let's start reading in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 3, 4. For, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. Now, I don't know how you read the scriptures, but I want to encourage you to read with a willingness to argue back. The minute you read something that shocks or surprises you or startles you or you don't understand, just just talk right back to it. And when I was reading this, the first thing that struck me was only servants. He says, We're only servants. Who is he kidding? This is Paul. Oh, we're only servants. That's like saying Adele sings a little, you know? It's like saying Beethoven played violin a little. It's like saying Einstein liked science. It's like saying Martin Luther King was socially active. I mean, it's just, he's just a servant, only servant? Remember, what were they fighting over? Who was their favorite big-time apostle? Apostle trading cards, maybe. He says, we are only servants. He goes on, he says, we're only servants through whom you came to believe. So he says, now don't get me wrong, servants still do important work, important work that changes your life. So we're only servants, but we do important work as the Lord has assigned, he says. As the Lord has assigned. Each worker is on an assignment. Every one of us, he has something for us to do. He says, to each his task. So in a sense, it's kind of like school. Remember your teacher would say, and before you turn those in, make sure your name is at the top of your paper. God is saying, we are only servants, but the work we do is important. Each of us has our own kind of work, And when you turn it in, I'm looking to see how you did. So the very first thing we learn is that they didn't understand something about ministry. They didn't understand that there were different kinds of ministry. Let's continue reading. Verse 6. He says this. I planted the seed. 
Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. Now, it's interesting that he picks an agricultural kind of a picture to begin with. What he's trying to say is that each worker has unique contribution. Each of them does something specific. We understand that. They understood that. The city of Corinth, like most ancient cities, would have been built up on kind of a high spot, looking down over a fertile plain. Pretty much any direction you looked from the city of Corinth, you would have seen miles and miles of fertile agriculture. It's kind of like driving through Lancaster County. Rolling hills. In fact, what you may not know is the word for that little berry, a current. That's actually kind of a misspelling of the word Corinth because they were known, among other things, for their currents. Agriculture was a huge part of this happening place because, like most of us, they liked to eat. So what he's trying to communicate is that each of them has a unique contribution. Each of them plays a part, and each of them has a different job to do. Verse 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now, I don't think Paul's got a self-esteem problem. He's not saying, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, don't look at me, like a little junior higher, you know, oh, don't look at me, look at me, look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, look at me, right? What he's saying, this is kind of a comparative statement. It's an evaluative comparison. Compared to who you should be paying attention to, we are nothing. We are just cogs in the wheel. The point is that all the workers share the same relationship with the owner. I don't know where you work, but there's probably a boss, unless you are the boss. If you work in a place where there's a boss, there might be hires and lowers, people above you, people below you, but everybody is pretty much in the same relationship to the boss. I work for you. If you're the boss, you realize they all work for you. And what you know as a boss is that you probably need all of them to get done what needs to get done. So Paul says, let me get this straight. You all have the same contribution. You all have the same relationship to the owner. You know, they were squabbling over their favorite teachers. It's kind of like being forced to choose what's your favorite tool. Um, For instance, what would be your favorite tool? Would you choose a shovel or a rake? Which do you like best? And most of you would say, that's, well, well, hang on. (laughs) So obedient. Doesn't it sort of depend on what the job is? Okay? If you've got to dig, if you've got to dig a hole, this is going to be tough. And you're trying to level ground, and actually I've done that a few times with this, and it just is... Which is your favorite tool? Wait, that's a silly question. What do you need done? And yet they were squabbling. They were squabbling over their favorite teacher. And Paul's saying, look, we are all just workers in the same job. We are all making a contribution. We are all relating to the owner in the same way. He goes on. He says, the one who plants and the one who waters have the same purpose. We might be different tools, but we're all in the same toolbox. 
You see, we're on the same side. We're on the same team. We're trying to do the same thing. How many times have you worked with a coworker and you wondered if they realized that you actually are supposed to be working together? Okay. So I guess we're not surprised at what's happening in Corinth, and yet we all know instinctively that it's, it's just a waste of effort and time. We're all working for the same boss. We all have different jobs to do, but we're working for the same company. And regardless of what job we have to do, we need to do our part. And every part is important because it all belongs to God. It's His work. Here they were squabbling and fighting, trying to pick favorites. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but in, in essence, they were all squabbling over the same busboy. Go to a fancy restaurant, world-class cuisine, all this, and, and you're, and you're going to argue with the people that you're there with about which busboy you like best. That's ridiculous. That's exactly what they were doing. Let's keep reading. He says, that they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Now, I, let's, let me just slow down for a second. Read that verse word by word. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. There are so many things that we learn, but the truth of the matter is that th their contribution matters, and how well they do that contribution matters. They will be rewarded according to their work. Isn't it hard to do a job when all of the work in the end goes into the same pot and nobody knows how hard you worked? Don't all of us instinctively want to know that our contribution, our unique contribution, will be identified and appreciated. And so what Paul's saying is, oh, we're all working in the same business, we're all working different jobs, but everyone's work will be evaluated and rewarded. It's both kind of encouraging and frightening at the same time. Farmers. What's the opposite of a farmer? Well, if, if a farmer produces, then I guess the opposite of a farmer in that sense would be a consumer. Keep that in mind. The opposite of a farmer might be a consumer. Let's move on. Verse 9. He says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So here's the summary statement. He's saying, we're all working together, different jobs, different locations, different assignments. We're all accountable, but we're on the same team. We are all working in God's field. And then he switches metaphors. God's building. So now instead of a farm and an agricultural setting, he's going to switch to kind of a construction metaphor so that he can teach them something else about ministry. See, not only did they not realize that there were different kinds of ministry, they needed also to realize that there were different phases or cycles of ministry. Let's keep reading in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. He says, I'm a wise builder. Now, um, 
The word builder is really kind of the word for architect, but not architect like we think of it. It's more in their time, it would have been like a site supervisor. Some of you have that role or you've had that role at your job. A site supervisor. You're kind of in charge of what happens right here. And he calls himself a wise builder. Why do you suppose he used the word wise? He, there's a lot of other words he could have used. Uh, well-trained, experienced, hardworking. But he calls himself a wise builder. After all, what did they think they were? Wise. They thought they were wise. They were adopting the world's wisdom. He's playing a little with words, and he says, no, I'm a wise builder. What makes him wise? By the grace, given, grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. Interesting, huh? That, that he would lay a foundation. I don't know if you have any foundation experience. A while back, our neighbors built a beautiful shed. I mean, beautiful. Like, it was like twice as big as it needed to be. And as it went up, I was kind of envious. I'm like, really? Because all of our backyards kind of face the same area, and, and mine is kind of bare. And then they built this beautiful shed, and it was so nice. I was jealous. And then they decided to put like a walking path through some of that common area. So the guys came out, surveyors, to kind of lay the path for the, for the path, you know, the 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 outline for the path. And as they were doing that, the guy, the surveyors went over and says, hey, by the way, beautiful shed. Half of it is on somebody else's land. <laughs> My poor neighbor. Uh, she's from Taiwan. She's just terrified. What did I do? <laughs> now, luckily, it just stays there unless somebody complains. And so she's just hoping nobody complains. You know, once you build, once the foundation is in the wrong place, you got a real permanent problem. What Paul says is he laid the foundation carefully. He put it where it belonged. Once the foundation is in and it's solid and it's in the right place, then what happens? Then you move on to the rest of the work. Then others come along. You know how that works, right? You've seen construction. you got the foundation and concrete guys, and then they're done. Well, first the surveyors, and then the concrete guys, and, and then after that the framers, and then after that the electricians and the plumbers and the roofers, and, the, and, they, and they, they come in in phases and do what they do. Paul's pointing to that as an idea. Get that picture in your mind about ministry, about church. That's how it works. Once the foundation is laid, now we can move on to the next phases of the work. Which is why, just before they move on to those phases, he says, but each one should take care how he builds. Hmm. If you've ever had to go back and redo a job, if you've ever had to call a workman back and have them redo their job, you understand why it's so important to do the job well. Doing every job as though someone were going to be inspecting it. So he says in verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul laid out this clear message of the gospel. And now when the foundation is laid, he says, There's something else I want you to know about ministry. There are different 
kinds of ministry, there are different ways, different qualities of the work. Be careful how you build. Verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Now, let's go back to this little comparison for a minute. Uh, The opposite of a farmer maybe would be a consumer. So what's the opposite of a builder? And I realize there's a lot of different ways we could go. But in this, this kind of a concept, right, um, in this idea later, he's going to talk about those who try to destroy rather than build. But those aren't even Christians. Those are people, children of the enemy. So no Christian is going to try to destroy this building that God builds. So if, if, if a demolition guy isn't on the list, what would be the next opposite of a builder? I'm going to suggest maybe it's a federal employee. <laughs> Sorry, you're online, you're going to look at this. I, I was just kidding. <laughs> um, you ever been past a work site and wondered how anything gets done? Right? Sure, we all have. Now, everybody's entitled to a break, but there are some guys who just seem to be able to chain breaks together. Right? It's remarkable how they can spend 10 hours out on a job and get so little done. They're really being a slacker, a slouch. The builder's interested in getting this job done. The opposite of that is somebody who is trying to look like they're busy, but they're getting nothing done. Well, Jesus says that people can build in their lives with different different materials, gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or stubble. Now, he's not necessarily moving from most expensive to least expensive, although that's kind of obvious. But the, the application is probably more like either he's moving from things that are very special to very common. The first three things you'd see in a temple, and the last three things you'd just see in a common house. But with the context that we're going to look at, most likely what he's talking about is some of these are more combustible than others. Okay? I'm going to suggest that anytime someone's talking to you about building supplies and they're pointing out how combustible it is. That's already a little bit concerning, right? Why are we talking so much about how fast it burns down? Well, it's simple because he goes on to say, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, and he's talking about this day when all of us stand before God and give an account of how we have spent our lives. He gave you health. He gave you life. He gave you opportunities. He gave you skills. How did you use it? Everyone is going to have to answer that, Christian or not. I think that's the day that he's referring to. That day will bring it to light. Why? Because it will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. Fire is a really powerful picture in the scriptures, isn't it? In fact, the first thing we think of is hell. Ah! Okay, he is not threatening hell. These people were believers. He's not saying you're, you're in danger of hellfire. But what he is saying is something that they knew well, which is often some of the best, one of the best purifiers was fire. Whether precious metal or whatever, you, you, when it passes through the fire, burns away the stuff that's worthless and leaves behind only what is worthwhile. What he says is, 
Each of our lives will be passed through a furnace, and it'll purify some and burn up others. He goes on. He says, now, if in that day, if what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss. Well, we were already kind of expecting that, weren't we? And then he gives this assurance. But yet will be saved. There. Oh, thank goodness. Unfortunately, sometimes some Christians are actually living like, like okay, that's, that's all I'm going for. Just get to heaven, smelling like smoke, but hey, I just made it in. Woo! And, and we joke about the fact that they're going to live it up, but just kind of come squeaking in into eternity. And the image Paul gives is close to that, but you don't come squeaking in happy. Have you ever seen a family that's had their home burned out? I was about nine when we had a fire. I was sleeping over at my sister's house. My nephews and nieces were all sleeping in one big room with these bunk beds. And, and people were yelling, screaming. There was a fire alarm going off, and people were screaming. Of course, nine years old, I still didn't wake up. Finally, somebody came by and were like banged on each of our beds. Fire! That's all they said. And I remember, I was like, oh my goodness, the, the smoke, I could see clear down here, but already, at, I was on the top bunk, already from here to the ceiling was smoke. So thick I couldn't see through it. So I jumped out of the bunk, and that's when I remembered I was on the top bunk. <laughs> and so I got up, and we ran out to the and we ran out to the hallway, and we went downstairs, and we went outside, and we looked. And there were no leaping flames, it, but smoke just pouring out of the building. And that's when we realized that, oh, that's right, we live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was really cold when you're out there in your jammies. Uh, and so then somebody scooped us, scooped us up and put us in a vehicle where it was warm. We were lucky, my sister was lucky, just some smoke damage. The people on the other side lost pretty much everything. And I remember the looks on their faces the next day. They, they weren't angry. Who do you get angry at? They just kept saying, we got nothing. We start over. Nothing. Paul's warning is this. Those who build in their lives with these kind of common everyday materials, oh, they will still enter my kingdom, but they will be there with nothing to show. Now, this brings up the idea of rewards, and we don't really have a lot of time this morning, but I want to point your attention to a couple of passages, and you can read them later. 2 Corinthians 5.10 simply says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. That day is coming, the Scripture says. 1 John 2.8 says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Not only standing or saying I've got nothing, but being ashamed for what I have to show. That's a concern. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story, that parable of the talents. And remember what he says in the, in the parable to the one who returned with more additional talents. He'd added, he says, and his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We'll talk 
at length about rewards another time. But what we need to know from this metaphor is simply this. An inspection day is coming. Jesus is the building inspector. He is the code enforcement. He is on his way. And when that day comes, he will call it as it is. Some will be unashamed. The implication is others will be ashamed. Some will have something to offer, and others apparently will have nothing to offer. Some who bring something will be given even more. I don't know what that means in heaven. Others will have nothing. A chance to worship, a chance to honor God. And what did you bring? I got nothing. You see, there are different qualities of building. He says in verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in you. Think about it. Farmer, consumer. Builder, slacker, sloucher. But Paul in other parts of Scripture uses other metaphors for Christians as well. Let's see. One of them is uh, a soldier. We're soldiers. What would be the opposite of a soldier? Well, if a soldier is, is protecting, then maybe the opposite of a soldier is a victim. He also says Christians can be like athletes. Run the race like you want to win. What's the opposite of an athlete? Spectator. And all of a sudden, perhaps you see what I see. I see four words that could easily describe many Christians we know. Consumer. Slacker. Victim. I'm not being fed. I don't feel at home. Uh, Spectator. Hmm. Nice show. Paul says, those are probably the people that will have nothing to give, nothing to show. They'll be embarrassed. Their heads will be down. And so with all of this, Paul applies it to us, and he just simply says this, remember that you're the building. You're the house. You're the temple. The foundation has already been laid. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Eternal life is yours through faith. Got it. He says also of the Corinthians and us, you have everything you need already. You've got what it takes. You've got the raw materials to build something that lasts. Use your life to build something. Something that's building together. Working together. You do realize that you don't have to be arguing to be not unified. To work together toward what? Something that God can bless. Because ultimately God gives the increase. If you're one of these ones that tends to look at other leaders and other people who are more gifted than you and say, well, see, they can do it. I can't. I just want to challenge you. Paul's saying, you have a job. It's not like Pastor Mike's going to cook up a job for you. Jesus has given you an assignment. You realize that? I may not know what it is yet. You may not be sure what it is yet. But he has given you one, and he's going to ask about it one day. Don't you think it would be wise to figure out what that is and get to work on it? 
So what if I can't do it? First of all, he doesn't make assignments like that. Secondly, there are people around you that will help you. The whole purpose of this church is to help you figure out what that is and do it to the best of your ability so that one day each of you has something significant. No spectators, please. No slouches, no consumers, no victims. If you are coming to Crossroads and you like coming to Crossroads, we are so glad. Stop it. Believe it or not, we don't want you to just come to Crossroads. We want you to come and then engage. Not with a program, not with a plan so much as that God has given you an assignment. Let's remember something. We are God's field. We are God's building. This is what he's doing. Why wouldn't you want to be a part? Let's pray. With every head bowed and eye closed, I never know, perhaps you're here today and you've not put your faith in Christ. We don't want you to leave without doing that. We don't want you to leave without understanding that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just give us an example. He actually made the payment for your sin. And now he offers eternal life as a gift. It's received by faith. You knew there was something special about Jesus. You knew that there was something engaging about this. You feel called, pulled toward him, but you didn't know why. And now you know why. Because he's offering you eternal life. Today is the day to put your faith in Jesus. But most of us here have done that. We are believers, we're followers. Are you engaged with the task that God gave you? In a few weeks, after we do the membership classes, we always do some spiritual gifts training, and we will help you figure out maybe where to start. But please know that this is where God's working. As he works here, then from here, the gospel goes out in so many directions. Be a part of what God's building. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for redeeming us and then allowing us to come and be your workers. We're in your field. You say, come and work with me and build something that lasts. And often we become distracted. We get a little lazy or we get a little uh, feeling victimized. We we, kind of like watching rather than participating. We'd rather consume rather than produce. And we just need to be reminded, and that's what Paul was doing to the Corinthians, reminding them, you are called to build, called to plant, called to harvest. Help us to engage with your plan. Because that's what's going to bring you glory. And one day, we'll be able to show that when you come to inspect. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.